Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. you that it is no small thing as Akani said to be able to gather as God's people to worship him last Sunday my family and I had the privilege to be in Richards Bay and to be with a church called Calvary Baptist Church and I just want to encourage you that even in a place like Richards Bay there is a faithful Bible teaching church where God is at work God is at work in Richards Bay saving people and he does that through the preaching of the gospel and people faithfully living out the gospel. Inviting people into a community of faith where they experience the love of Jesus Christ. And of course that is the same thing we want to do here at Living Hope. We want to continue to be a kind of church that opens our hearts and the doors of this church to anyone to come and experience the love of Jesus. And it's now that we turn to God's word that we will hear from Him. And we're going to continue our study of the book of Galatians. So please take your Bibles. We are back in the book of Galatians. And we are in chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 1. And then we're going to focus on verses 2 to 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll read from verse 1. This is what Paul writes. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now one of the realities you notice when you study the book of Galatians is that there's a way to live the Christ-centered life without Christ. There's a way to live the Christ-centered life without Christ. In other words, as we've been studying Galatians, Paul has been helping us see that you can be so serious about religious matters that you lose sight of of what matters most. He shows us that it's possible for people who have been set free by Jesus to lose sight of that freedom 
and turn back to a life of trusting in themselves. Which means you end up caring more about what you do and what other people think about you and you develop some strong opinions and judgments about other people too. But what Scripture tells us is that what ultimately matters most is what God will say about you when you appear before Him on Judgment Day. We know this is what the Bible teaches, right? That we are heading for a time where every person in this room will stand before the judgment seat of God. Look how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All of us are going to stand before God, and God is going to make the the final pronouncement and judgment on your life. And what we must realize is what God says about you on that day can never be changed can never be changed. What God says about you to the rest of the world and all of creation and all the angels that are looking in on that day will be a judgment and a verdict that is based on the truth of the gospel. It's a verdict that cannot be changed or altered no matter what good you try and do in that moment. How much you try and explain what you did and why you did it. No explanation on that day is going to change what God says. It's final. Now the problem is that one of the things the false teachers in Galatia were saying is that you need extra insurance for that judgment day. The churches in Galatia, which is made up of true believers and professing believers, people who think they are Christians, they're being told that what matters most in the Christian life is actually being circumcised. Being an Old Testament law-observant Jew. And if you have all these Jewish marks, and do all these religious things, then, and only then, will you be fine on Judgment Day. Paul has been fighting to defend the truth of the Gospel, because he's become aware that the people in Galatia are starting to live the Christian life without fully trusting in Christ alone. They're busy taking the freedom they have been given in Jesus and become like that beast we spoke about last time, that animal that is enslaved by a yoke of their own performance and efforts. How? By reverting back to the law of Moses as a means to be in a right relationship with God. The Judaizers, they're trying to be convincing to tell the Galatians that to be ready for that final day of judgment, that God will accept you if you're serious about keeping the Sabbath. If you're serious about having the mark of God's chosen people, which we know is circumcision. If you're serious about wearing head coverings. If you're serious about not touching the anointed or religious objects in an unworthy manner. If you're serious about no drums or guitars in a church worship service. If you're serious about only reading the Bible from certain translations. If you're serious about giving money to the church. And the list goes on and on and on. And the life of slavery awaits anyone who does not live for what 
matters most. Because what Paul is saying is that if we are living for what matters most, then we actually get to enjoy a greater freedom from ourselves. Because we are trusting only in Jesus for that final day of judgment. Because if you're seeking to be justified before God by the works of the law or any other works that relies on your own efforts, then you're actually cut off from the only hope you have when your faith is going to be made public to the rest of the universe. Last time we were in Galatians, we looked at this transitional verse of chapter 5 verse 1. And we saw the reality that Paul wants all true believers to understand that they need to stand firm in their Christian freedom. And to help them avoid falling back into slavery, he now continues to address the Galatians by giving them several warnings and instructions to help them hold on to Christ and to live for what matters most. He has tried so many things in so many ways to explain to the churches in Galatia the seriousness of what is happening. The seriousness of what is happening when you start to mess with the truth of the gospel. And so today we're going to see that to help all of us live for what matters most, to live in light of that final day of judgment that is coming, first we need to listen. We need to listen. We need to listen to the warnings of the Bible based on the truth of the gospel. That's verses 2 to 4. And secondly, we need to wait. We need to wait. We need to eagerly wait with hope for the righteousness that is coming. That's verse 5. Also based on the truth of the gospel. And then finally, we need to love. We need to love as we wait for Christ to return for that final judgment. God has given us a faith that is not simply a faith that sits around and does nothing. It's a faith that works through love. But today we're only going to focus on the first two here. So you can call this message, Living What Matters Most, Part 1. The next Sunday we will come back to consider what does it look like for our faith to work, and specifically, faith working through love. Because we are so loved. But first, if we're going to live for what matters most, if we're going to be a church that lives for what matters most and stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ, then we need to make sure that we're listening to the warnings. Now we're listening to the warnings that Paul unpacks here in verses 3 to 4. And so number one, listen to the warnings. Paul writes, look, look, he says, pay attention, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now when Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you, it's like he's saying, listen up Galatians, listen up church, based on my authority as an apostle and a messenger of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, 
the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament, you better listen carefully. What I'm about to say is serious. This is not just a matter of differences of opinion. People's eternal destiny and their spiritual growth is on the line here. So he wants him to really make sure they're listening carefully. And then he states the problem. He says, like, listen up, look, if you accept circumcision. It's now for the first time really in the book of Galatians that he mentions the issue of circumcision directly. We've been talking about it so much. But now in the context of these warnings, he's addressing it directly. And we must remember that the most distinctive mark of a Jew, in which they took the greatest pride and confidence, is that of being circumcised. We see that in the Old Testament, that God intended circumcision to be a symbol of His covenant promise. Back in Genesis 17 verse 9. But what the Jews did is they took this symbol and turned it into something that according to them has spiritual value in and of itself. It's like if people think that there's some sort of special power when they take communion. Like there's some sort of spiritual blessing they receive because they came to church and they took communion. That juice they drink or the wine they drink somehow has special power to release them from the struggle with sin and makes them acceptable to God. You see, for the Jews, circumcision was not a reminder of God's grace and a promised blessing, but a way to get some guarantees for themselves, to secure His favor in their lives. And so when Paul is highlighting the, the problem of circumcision here, he's not saying that circumcision by itself is a problem. Any male who gets circumcised today is not sinning against God according to Galatians 5 verse 2. We know this is true because Paul did not stop Timothy to be circumcised, right? Because he knew that by doing so, it would open the doors to reach more Jewish people with the truth of the gospel. Paul wants to warn the Galatians that if they're going to go down this road by going to the knife, they're embracing the false idea that there's some kind of spiritual benefit from being circumcised. And so he issues three stern warnings that almost sound like threats. Paul's getting serious. Three stern warnings that almost sound like threats. And what we need to understand is that warnings in the Bible is one of the ways God protects us from making bad choices. Because what is clear from what Paul is about to say is that choices have consequences. Choices, we know, have consequences. And one of the ways we avoid making wrong choices is by listening to the warnings in the Bible. I mean, it's like the warning we had to give Ben this week. Ben has been on antibiotics because of, he had bronchitis. Now it's this first week back at school, we had to give him a stern warning that if he decides to go running during the breaks, because this boy loves running, that it's going to have damaging consequences on his physical health. See, it's not that he has a sore leg or a, a sore foot that would be obvious why he shouldn't run. 
So we have to lovingly help him see that by giving him a stern warning, that if he does decide to run, he's at the risk that he might end up in the hospital. And it can have this long-term consequences on his overall health. But the thing is, by understanding the seriousness of the warning, it made it easier for him to obey. And it wasn't easy for him because he really, really loves to run. But the warning was loving and helpful to him. Now Paul is doing the same thing. Paul is going to warn the Galatians and explain the consequences if they are not going to listen. And the first warning is here in verse 2. Where Paul says, if you're going to accept circumcision, then what? Then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now we must keep in mind here that Paul is a mixed audience to whom he's writing. He's writing to people who say they believe in Jesus, who think they are Christians, but they have not been transformed by the real truth of the gospel. But there are also many people who have come to true saving faith because they have placed their faith in Christ. That's why he keeps referring to them as brothers. But to those who are only professing believers, Paul is saying that if you are trusting in circumcision for any sort of spiritual benefit, then you can't get any real, eternal, spiritual benefit from Christ. Jesus is of no value to you because you have placed your trust in something else. Which is like him saying, the blood of Jesus atoning for your sin, no value to you. Being redeemed and adopted through Christ, no value to you. Jesus becoming man, living a perfect life under the law, no value to you. If you choose to get circumcised because you think that on the last day, God will accept you because you are circumcised, then you're in trouble because it will be too late and everything Jesus did will be nothing for you. Which, if you think about it, should be very, very scary. Standing before God on Judgment Day without Jesus Christ. Paul said something similar already back in Galatians 2.21. That you nullify the grace of God. In other words, you make that grace useless if you trust in circumcision rather than Christ for salvation. If you trust in anything you do, instead of Christ for salvation. If you trust in any kind of man-made system of securing God's blessing, rather than the work of Jesus. It's like when someone has a real picture of the Mona Lisa at their house, hanging in their home office, you know, this famous painting that is worth millions Millions, and you look at that painting and you think she needs a bit of a, a bigger smile and an upgrade. And you take your paintbrush and you add your own touches to it. You have just taken this painting that is worth millions, and by adding to it, you made it worthless. Worthless. But then you must think about what Paul is saying to the true believers as well. What is he saying to true Christians here? 
Paul is saying that there's no way you can grow spiritually and move forward in the Christian life and enjoy the freedom and joy of the gospel if you are going to rather divide your trust and get yourself back into a mindset that you must get some additional security for when you stand before God. It is totally inconsistent to say that you trust in Jesus alone but you think that you need this extra insurance of religious works when it comes to Judgment Day. But Paul wants to really get their attention, and so he gives another warning. Another warning. He continues to say, I testify again to every man, anyone here, who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And we know he's testified to this before. He has told them that if they trust in the works of the law, then you are obligated to keep all of it. Every one of them. Which means instead of Jesus covering your debt, the debt that you owe to God for your sin and failing to keep the law, you are going to be in debt to Him again because your life is now subject to all of the law. In other words, if you go back to the law, then that is all you have. That's all you got. But the problem is, again, is like these Jews, people then look at the law like a sushi menu at Ocean Basket where they pick and choose what laws they want to keep. What laws they want to be serious about. When in fact the warning is so clear. If you go down that route, you better keep all of it. And we know that God's standard is a perfect standard, right? That's why James said, James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Which means if you were able to keep every single law, most of your life, but you fail at keeping just one, just one of them, then the salvation you're looking for when you're standing before God is not going to be there. Because you need to have kept all of it perfectly. Which we know by now, because we've studied the law of God, is impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. And all you are is cursed. Remember, that's what we saw in Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And so we see the warning. We see the warning that choices have consequences. If you're going to take that step toward being right with God through relying on your own actions, trying to secure His blessing through some sort of external procedure or ritual, then that is what your life will have to be. A cursed life of enslavement to the entire law of God. And if that doesn't seem like enough of a clear warning, Paul gives one more. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. And the word severed can be translated separated from or, or made loose. 
In other words, it's this picture where you are released from Jesus. We see something similar again when Paul is talking to the Romans. Back in Romans chapter 7 verse 2. We know that Paul used this picture of marriage as he tries to explain how Christians are released from the law. He says, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released, severed. That's the word severed from the law of marriage. And then in verse 6 he goes on to say, But now we are released, we are severed from the law having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So what Paul is stressing here is because we have to focus, because he's saying just as we were released from the law through faith in Jesus, you are going to be released from Jesus if you place your trust and faith in the law. Christ no longer has association with you. You are cut off from grace that Jesus gives as a gift. And the words here are actually penetrating from Paul in this this context of circumcision because the picture of circumcision is that a Jew was saying he is cut off from the rest of the world. It's a sign that he says you are separated from the world. And if a Jew was going to ever reject God, then it's also a way of saying that this person would be cut off from God's people. And so Paul is using that kind of context to say, because you belong to the new covenant in Jesus, the new covenant in Christ, if you would get circumcised now, you would be cutting yourself off from Christ. Instead of separating yourself from sin, you will be separating yourself from Jesus. Instead of having a a deep relationship with an intimate Savior, Jesus becomes a stranger to you. And maybe that is what your relationship with Jesus is like. There's a lot of going to church, there's a lot of going to gospel community groups, there's a lot of serving and doing, but Jesus seems more like a stranger to you than an intimate Savior. Because the result is, if you cut off the flow of grace by trusting in yourself, then Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. Instead of thinking that you're going to be closer to God, because you're trying to do all these religious things, you end up further away from God. So think about it. This could be the person who comes to church who has heard the gospel, but they end up turning their back on the church and on Jesus. Many people in the early church were excited about Jesus, all the miracles of Jesus, all the commotion and promises of blessing of a new life. People who've experienced firsthand the blessing of Christian fellowship, but then eventually they turn away. As the author of Hebrews would say, they have tasted the heavenly gift. They have tasted the goodness of the word of God, but then have fallen away. And repentance, that's the problem. Repentance becomes something that won't happen again. They have drifted away and made shipwreck of their faith. As one commentator says, they came to the doorway of grace 
and then fell away back into their works of religion. See, when Paul was talking to Timothy, he says that these two men, Hermeneus and Alexander, have done things that led to serious consequences. Like a ship that is lost and shattered against the rocks of an ocean, so their faith has become shipwrecked. Paul exhorted Timothy to hold on to the faith he has in Jesus with a good conscience. But listen to what he says about these men. 1 Timothy 1.19 By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom were Hermeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Handed over to Satan. That they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul was warning Timothy and he uses these men as an example of what happens when you reject the only true way of salvation. And you start to ignore the warnings of the Bible. When your conscience becomes so hardened to the point where people no longer listen to the truth and the leading of God's Spirit because your faith becomes like a splintered ship tossed against a rocky shore, useless and abandoned. Which is a scary place to be. But Paul is talking to believers in the church as well. And we must realize he is not emphasizing the issue of eternal security here. We know from Romans and the Gospel of John that he believes that no true believer can lose his salvation. Why? Because of who God is. But it is possible that you can try to live the Christian life where you are more concerned about outward obedience, trying to look like a Christian than actually obeying from a transformed heart. You can confuse yourself and other people around you if you try to live by works. Because if you are trusting in the flesh, then it will interfere with your living in the Spirit. Remember, that is where Paul is heading now in the rest of Galatians. He is going to explain what it means to live in the Spirit. Because to worship God from a heart that wants to make it all about Him is to live in the Spirit. But to worship God to impress others around you is to worship Him in the flesh. To share the gospel with someone else by trusting that God can change their lives through this truth is to live in the Spirit. But to share the gospel with someone else and you try to win them over with all your impressive Bible knowledge is to live in the flesh. To serve God with joy, even when it's difficult, when others don't even show appreciation for what you do, is to live in the Spirit. But to serve God wanting people to praise your name is to live in the flesh. And that is a warning to us all. That if we do anything by trusting in our own flesh, and our own skills, and our own knowledge, and our own service, is to cut ourselves off from the life-sustaining grace we need. Paul believed that not only will true believers be secure in Jesus forever, he also believed there is only one way to be saved, and one way to live as someone who is saved. And that is by holding on to Jesus with everything you got. 
There's no middle way. I mean, we've heard this example before. Imagine hanging on the cliff and there's one rope on the one end and one on the other. And the, these ropes are pulling you. You've got to let go of one of them to cling to the other. Paul is saying you must grab hold of Jesus with both hands. Otherwise, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And these warnings are helpful. And one of the things we should mention here, because... We have to notice carefully what Paul is saying. He's saying, he's not saying, he's not saying if you have fallen into sin, that you are falling from grace. Do you get that? If you fall into sin, that you are falling from grace. In this context, he's saying, if you turn to the law, observance as a means to be right with God, then you're falling from grace. That is helpful for us to, to realize, for those of us who still struggle with sin, and anyone who can have doubts about their salvation because of that sin. Because what Paul wants us to hear is that you can't enjoy the grace of the gospel, about total forgiveness, about being uh, in process as a sinner, being made more like Jesus, when you are constantly trying to perform and work to earn that grace. Because it's in those dark moments of sin that you must consider what actually calms your conscience. Is it the fact that Jesus did it all for you? Or is it that you still somehow did something to make things okay with God again? Because it comes down to what you're hoping in when you stand before God on Judgment Day. And what do true believers hope in? Well, Paul gives us the answer here in verse 5. Verse 5. If we are going to live for what matters most, not only do we need to carefully listen to the warnings of Scripture, but we need to wait. We need to wait. We need to eagerly wait with hope for the righteousness that is coming. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. One of the things Paul makes clear in this verse is that faith is not just looking back at what Jesus has done. True faith in Jesus means that we also look forward. We must look forward because justification is not just something we, is not something we work for. Justification is not something we work for. It is something we wait for. In other words, God gives His righteousness to those who wait for it in faith. This is looking forward to what God will say to you when you stand before Him. And there's a big difference between someone who knows what God will say versus someone that is not as sure. We went out with the missions team a few weeks ago to talk to people about Jesus here in Hatfield. And we encountered this young lady whose response to the question of what will God say about you on the final day was, hey, you know, I don't know, that's a hard one. How many people respond in that way? That is a hard one. Uncertain about what God will say about them. And for many people, that doubt is a reality. Because Paul says, instead of trying to do things to help you think you will be okay on that day, that you will have enough righteousness before God because of what you've done, the true believer has this great expectation and confidence that God is going to declare them 
perfectly righteous because of their trust in Jesus now. We know that believers already have the imputed righteousness of justification. That moment when you truly see your sin for what it is and you turn to Christ for salvation. But we're still in a time now where we are waiting for the complete picture of total sanctification and being glorified. We are still waiting for our hidden righteousness to be made public. But it's the manner in which believers wait that we need to notice. Because Paul loves to talk about this all over the Bible. He says the Christian eagerly waits. Eagerly waits. And one of our problems is we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. We want things now and we want it our way. But when we understand the gospel and the goodness of the gospel, then our waiting comes into the right perspective. I mean, Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans 8.19, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, creation itself is eagerly waiting for Jesus to fix everything once and for all. Verse 23, And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons. Our waiting involves this inward groaning as we long to be glorified as adopted sons of God. But then in verse 25 of Romans 8, Paul talks about what our waiting should look like more specifically. He says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, how? With patience. With patience. Christians are eagerly waiting in hope, like a child waits for the excitement of his birthday party, for the full righteousness that will come one day because of their faith in Jesus now. Because what God has given us now in Jesus is like the deposit of what is to come. And as we look at our lives and how much we still struggle with selfishness and sin, with corruption and the flesh and evil, then we should be so glad that this is not all there is. Because the gospel creates a hope in us and this confident expectation. A confident expectation that there is a righteousness coming that this world does not understand. But the thing is, it's when we get bored with what we already have in Jesus that we neglect the warnings of the Bible and we look to go back to our own efforts because that feels more tangible. It's like this one illustration where one pastor says, it's like you have this all expenses paid holiday coming up. But instead of being excited about it and longing for it, you get satisfied with sitting in your backyard playing with the dirt. Because the gospel does not seem that exciting to you anymore. But when the Spirit of God is at work in your life, because Paul says here in verse 5, for through the Spirit, 
Then like 1 Corinthians says, you wait eagerly for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ when He will come again. You wait eagerly, Philippians 3.20, for our new resurrected glorified bodies. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul is saying that instead of looking at yourself, you need to look forward. Because when you will stand before God, He's going to make public what you believe now. He's going to show you and the rest of the world that you are a justified sinner. That you are righteous. Because you will be standing there with Jesus. And even as we sometimes struggle with doubt because of our struggle with sin, Paul is saying on that final day, there's going to be no more doubt. No more doubt. No more fear. All of creation is going to know what it is that you truly believe. But the warning is, the person who has been trusting in himself is going to be there without Jesus. He's going to be there with this long list of religious efforts, with this long list of Sunday church attendance, with this long list of offering slips of the amounts of money he has put into the church account, thinking that there's this, this time with his ancestors, look at my ancestors and everything will seem clear. What they have been trusting in all along. We look at other people's lives sometimes and wonder if they are truly a believer. There's a day coming where the real judge will make it clear and say, Andre, you are forgiven. Andre, you are my son. Andre, I want the whole world to know you are mine. And I want that. I long for that. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have let go of themselves and have latched onto Christ with everything they got, long for the day with eagerness. Because you know what God will say. Because you know you don't have to work for it. You just have to wait for it. And so how do we live in light of what matters most? Paul says we live with hope. The person who is enslaved to his own efforts, who is trusting in anything else but Christ alone, does not have the same hope. They are not sure what God will say on the last day. They worry rather than wait. They strive to earn the grace of Jesus rather than rest in the grace of Jesus. They ultimately depend on what they do rather than what Jesus has done. Christ is no advantage to them. They must keep the whole law and they are cut off from the flow of grace. And that is why we take so much time to talk about the truth of the gospel. Because as Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this end we toil and strive. In other words, to this end we work because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. 
The gospel gives us a completely different motivation to toil and strive. Because our hope is set on the living God, the God who saves. The God who sets people free from trusting in anything else but Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you listening to the warnings of the Bible? Do you take them seriously? There is a sense in where believers ignore the warnings of the Bible because they say, once saved, always saved, right? And even though that is true, God still uses the warnings to help us stay close to Him, to help us stay anchored in Christ when the storms of life come our way. To help us stay on the right path when we are tempted to drift away. When people make it a habit, for example, to find reasons to justify why they can't be in regular worship with other believers. And sitting under the teaching of God's Word every week. And so we realize choices have consequences. But it's also when we look at the truth of the gospel that we are reminded how weak we are and how much we need Jesus. And the hope we have in that future righteousness helps me when I fight sin now. Because I know by faith that God has forgiven me of all my sins and that causes us to long for the day when we will sin no more. To know that even the sins I committed this week, I can repent of them and turn from them. And that does not change the final verdict on that last day. And rather it makes me wait with so much hope and so much eagerness for Jesus to come back. And it helps me to live for what is most important. But are you living for what is most important? What will God say about you on that final day of judgment? Next week we will look at what true faith does while we are waiting for Jesus to come back. But let us pray now that God will help us adhere to the loving warnings of Scripture that if indeed we will be lovingly warn others where needed about the choices they are making. Choices that might indicate they are not living for what is most important. Let us pray that we will continue to hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone and not look to anything in ourselves or anything else in this world for some kind of blessing or right standing before God. Let us be the kind of church that waits eagerly for our faith to become sight to the rest of the universe. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can come back to the truth of the gospel again and again and again, Lord, and there's always more. We need the stern reminders, Lord, of your warnings in Scripture that it is easy for people to start living for things that are are useless. That we start living for the things of this world. That we stop waiting eagerly for the righteousness that is coming and that we get bored with the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us to listen to these warnings. 
that by faith, through your Spirit, we have a great hope in that righteousness that is coming because of what Christ has done for us already. That we cling to Jesus with both hands and not seek to be justified by anything we've done even this week. That we would not seek to be justified in how well we've read our Bibles and how we've prayed. But Lord, even as we consider the sins that we struggle with, Lord, help us to take these warnings seriously, to see how damaging it is to our faith. And that choices have consequences. Lord, as we look at the cross, we see the ultimate consequence for Christ. That He was nailed to a cross, suffered in our place, so that we can be justified. And so, Lord, help us to love that truth this week. Help us to love the truth that you are coming again and that you're going to make our faith public to the whole world. There's no more doubt than what we believe and that what we believe is that Jesus died and rose again for sinners like us. There's nothing else we cling to or hold on to that can justify us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.